1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: We'll we'll do the big stuff. We'll throw the Hail Mary Harry pass for the touchdown at the end of the game, or we'll shoot on goal at the center line as opposed to getting inside the penalty area at the end of a game. We'll do the big play. We'll do the big deal. But there's a a poem, and I didn't write it, but I'll do my best to recite it, called this Poetry Hour by Keith Crosby. All the good words and all the good wishes don't mean a whole lot if you won't do the dishes, okay?
0: I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible.
1: Hello and welcome to. The Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby Senior pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today And as always we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can On today's broadcast Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series So if you have your Bibles Please follow along with us as we hear part three of Pastor Keith's message, It Takes a Good Husband.
2: Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that even there is peace in the eye of the storm and the calm, Lord, that is there in Christ Jesus. Father, we are grateful that we need not fear what men can do to us, but we need to be concerned with what... what you do with us father how you use us where we end up based on our relationship with you father as we continue our series on family matters lord i pray that you would lord use your word to change our lives to change our marriages to change our families to change our church and for our church to change our culture one soul at a time pray these things in jesus name amen where do good husbands come from you know you don't find them in the cabbage patch okay you don't find them under a rock. Um, they don't grow on trees. And even though the culture would try to teach us this, they don't swing from trees either, okay? Good husbands, as we talked about before, are made. They are not born. We're born dead in our sins and trespasses. As cute as that little bambino or bambina is, they're a little reprobate without Christ, right? They're not born empty slates, pure before God. You know, They are sinners. They're born... With original sin, and as soon as they're able to, they make enough of their own to sink a battleship. And so husbands, good husbands, don't occur naturally. They occur supernaturally. Good husbands are made. They are not born. In fact, they are twice born. They are born physically, and then they are born again, right? When they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the reality is, you cannot be the husband that human beings, that men, were designed to be apart from Christ, And I'm not saying that unsaved husbands are bad guys, that they are some sort of satanic being, but the bottom line is they don't have the capacity to love their wives as the way Christ loved the church. It's just beyond them. It's not that they don't even try sometimes. But the reality is it takes a good husband to make a good marriage, and it takes a good marriage to make a good family, and it takes loads of good families to make a good church. And it takes good churches to change the direction of our culture and civilization. And so we began this series, uh, Family Matters, talking about marriage and what it is and what it's not and who's in and who's out. And then we turned our attention to the men last week and we'll continue to put the men under the microscope this week. But don't worry guys, next week it's the ladies, okay? So I want to be equal opportunity destroyer here, so uh, no, just kidding. But we want to look and see what God's word has to say about being a good husband. And so take your tablet or your iPhone or, or, your, or your smartphone or whatever kind of phone you have or your analog Bible made out of paper and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, because that's where we are. And this is really part two of It Takes a Good Husband. Uh, and so we're going to do a little review so that we can know where we've been and so know where we are. And so the review goes like this. It really takes there are three essential qualities to a good husband. There are three attributes to a good husband. There are three things a good husband has to be. And what does it mean to be a good husband? What does it take to be a good husband? A good husband is a good lover. And I know that last week there were some, you know, startled looks in the congregation, but we'll get there and we'll explain more of what that means. A good husband is a good lover. And where do we see that? Where is it taught in the Bible? It's taught in a lot of places, but two places we're going to look and that we looked last week, are Ephesians 5.25 and Ephesians 5.28. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 5.28, husbands, in the same way husbands, love your wives as, as, as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And what that means is this, is it alludes to the fact that, of course, that we are one flesh in Christ, we belong to each other. It also speaks to the fact that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, And a good husband is Christ to his family, and a good lover loves sacrificially. We talked about that. We visited 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, and we distilled a definition of love there. Love is benefiting other people through righteous words, actions, and deeds with no thought of what you're going to get out of it. Love is sacrificial, and so a good lover seeks the benefit of his wife, a good lover seeks her good. He seeks her growth. He loves like Jesus. He loves like Jesus loved. Sacrificially. Jesus gave up his life for the church. He went to the cross for his people. And And a good husband loves his wife sacrificially at great personal cost to himself, if necessary. And it usually is. Because people are sinners, men and women. And it takes a lot to love each other sacrificially. But he is to be Jesus to the family, a Christian, a little Christ. That's what Christian means, a little Christ. This is big love because this is big sacrifice. It's a holding nothing back type of sacrifice. He loves her through righteous words, actions, and deeds. Sometimes it's a tough love because he has to say no. Sometimes it's a tough love because she doesn't want to hear no. And there are consequences. But that's, whole, that's we'll get into conflict in marriage in the weeks to come. But this is a sacrificial love. What did Jesus say? Greater love hath no man than he laid out his life for his friends. And the closest friend you're going to have in this life after Jesus is your wife, man. By the way, it's not an a once-in-a-lifetime kind of sacrifice. It's a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year, decade-to-decade type of sacrifice. That's sacrificial love. That's good love. That's big love. And you know what? Sacrificial love is purposeful, it's not accidental, it's intentional, it's mindful, it's deliberate, and it's thoughtful. A good husband, a good spouse must be a Christian because he has to be a good lover. And this love has one end in mind, her good, starting with her spiritual growth, but radiating outward into every aspect of her life. The purpose for this sacrificial love is found in verses 26 to 28 that he might sanctify her, that he might set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or any wrinkle, that she might be holy and blameless. This is about Christ and the church, but this is about men and women. This is about husband and wives. The marriage represents the relationship between Christ and the church, and therefore, when there's a good husband, there's a good evangelistic impact on the children. Never, ever lose sight of that, men. People are watching, starting with your own kids. And that's why our next prerequisite, our next essential, our next characteristic of a good husband, he is a good lover, and he is, as we talked about last week, a good learner. A good learner. Where is that in the text? It's in verse 28 and beyond. In verse 28, it says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, we talked about this before. What does it mean? I know, for better or for worse, this body, this body right here, inside and out. I know when it's tired. I know when it's about to get sick. I know when it's stressed. I know when this thing down here, this chest that used to be up here, when it growls that I'm hungry. I know when to feed it, when to water it, when to rest it. That's what's going on here. You're to love your wife with the same degree of understanding, with the same degree of uh, appreciation, with the same degree of analysis that you take care of your own body. That's what it means to be a learner. We see this also in 1 Peter 3.7. Now I'm going to plumb the depths of 1 Peter 3.7 another time. But basically it says this, Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Right there, understanding a way in some translations is according to knowledge. And the word there, there are a couple of words that could have been used in the Greek. There's theoretical book learning knowledge and there's experiential knowledge. The school of hard knocks, and I'm not calling marriage the school of hard knocks, but it is a crucible through which we are sanctified. And there's a, you know, the book learning kind of knowledge. And this is experiential knowledge. You understand what makes your wife tick. And then after that, at the end of the verse, it says, So that your prayers may not be hindered. You've heard of the first commandment with a promise, you know, and, you know, uh, children, you know, honor your father and mother that may go well with you in the land. This is the first commandment with a threat, okay? Because if you do not live with your wives in an understanding way your prayers will be hindered why well we have two types of relationships in this life we have vertical with God and horizontal with people and if your horizontal relationship with people is messed up you can bet your relationship with God is going to suffer and if your relationship with God is messed up you can bet your relationship with people are going to suffer and what's going on here is this you cannot be right with God and not right with your wife now some ladies will say see you you know, they'll make unrealistic demands and threaten you with this verse, and you'll make unrealistic demands and threaten them with this verse. But that's not what it's about, guys. It's about understanding your wife, knowing her strengths and her weaknesses, her hopes and her fears, her dreams, her aspirations, her gifts, and helping her to deploy those abilities in the home, in the workplace if necessary, and in the church. It's a command. It's not an option. You know, we hear a lot today about, you know, and particularly in different circles in our professional realm I know I used to hear about it years ago when I was in the business world about being a lifelong learner that's what's going on here you are a lover and because you love her sacrificially you are a lifelong learner and the thing about this is is this and I talked about this last week I know a lot of you were away at men's retreats so that's why we're reviewing it today spaced repetition over time don't you know and no one gets away unscathed so I wanted to come back and review some of this today but we understand that most of us would take a bullet for our wives. We would step out in front of a tra- freight train and push them out of the way. There's almost nothing that we wouldn't do for our wives. That's the big sacrificial, right? That's sacrificial love. That's the, ler- the lover. But the learner is, is, is in a scale of life and death anyway, a smaller sacrifice. You see, most of us most of us men, most of us human beings, men and women are human beings, we'll we'll do the big stuff. We'll throw the Hail Mary Harry pass for the touchdown at the end of the game, or we'll shoot on goal at the center line as opposed to getting inside the penalty area at the end of a game. We'll do the big play. We'll do the big deal. But there's a a poem, and I didn't write it, but I'll do my best to recite it and call this Poetry Hour by Keith Crosby, All the good words and all the good wishes don't mean a whole lot if you won't do the dishes, okay? Right, you know? And the point is this, guys. They don't care about the big sacrifices if they're only theoretical, but they do care. They do care that you care. You know, they do care that you'll love them in little ways, not just the big ways. And part of being a learner is understanding what makes them tick, what makes them happy what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel appreciated, understood, protected, respected. That's what it means to be a lover and a learner. That's what it means. It's critical. These are essentials. You cannot function as a good husband without being a good lover and a good learner. So that's review. That's review. Now remember, guys, if you're wondering how to go about that out there on those tables out there, is a questionnaire called 50 Questions to Ask Your Wife. Uh, I gave you 54 because I'm, I'm generous. And what I would like you to do is to take those questions over the next three or four or five weeks and just take some time and interview your wives. You know, you think about if you're going to sit down with the most important person in the world, the governor, the mayor, the president, whoever, who's more important than your wife? And I can tell you, I've done this questionnaire a few times over the last 20 Five, 26 years? And the answers change over time because people change. And if you're operating with the same set of assumptions you operated with the first five years of your marriage, you've remembered everything but learned nothing. So, lover and a learner. That's what God calls us to here. Which brings us to the third essential of a good husband. And this is the controversial one because the culture hates it, men hate it, and women hate it. Okay? So there's almost total unanimity And the dislike of this next one. But that shows you how far the world has fallen since the garden. Number three, last and not least, to make a good husband, to make a good marriage, to make a good family, good church, a good civilization, a good husband is a good leader. A good husband is a good leader. He is the leader in the home, just as Christ is the leader of the church. He's the head in the home, just as Christ is the head of the church. And here's an area where we really tend to challenge modern sensibilities and today's cultural norms. And as we've worked through this passage so far, if you look closely with both eyes open and your heart and mind open to God, you'll see it implicit in the text. And in the larger context, it's explicit in the text. For instance, in verse 25, husbands are loved love their wives sacrificially, benefiting them through righteous words, actions, and deeds. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right there, implicit in the text is leadership. They are to care for their wives as their own bodies, right? In the same way, husbands lo- should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. They are to help them in, a, in an understanding way grow and grow spiritually. They are, this is a great responsibility. This is a picture of Christ and the church, A man sets the example by leaving, it's on the next slide, by leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. These things are all initiated by the man. And finally, uh, a man is to love his wife, and the wife is to see to it that she respects her husband. Where is leadership in all this? Implicitly, it's right in this concept. Great responsibility requires authority. All of you in the workplace will say, you know, they gave me all this responsibility, but they didn't give me the ability to carry it out. They didn't give me the authority to do this. It's the same way. God has given men great responsibility. It's a high, high calling. It's one that few do well. It's difficult, but not impossible. And responsibilities like these require authority. Now, the problem is many men are what we would call theological couch potatoes, okay? They would rather the wife take responsibility. They'd rather her take the lead in the caring for children. They'd rather her take the lead in everything else. You name it, they, they'd rather have that happen because you know what? They're just so tired after work or whatever. But the bottom line is we have less work today than in all of history. None of us are involved in subsistence agriculture. None of us work from sunup to sundown. And then come, I mean, you, I mean, you saying, well, we're in the tech industry. Yeah, you are, but you have more leisure time than anybody throughout all of history. And leadership means tackling the responsibilities that God has given us and not being proselytized or evangelized by the culture, guys. And you look at verses like this, and I know there are many, many objections, because we hear about tyranny and cavemen husbands and passive husbands and oppression and slavery, all these good cultural buzzwords. But know this, Christian leadership is not a tyranny, it's a stewardship, it's a high calling. It's a loving leadership. It's a learning leadership. It's leadership like that of Jesus Christ. And in our culture, in our churches, in our homes, and in the media, even in governing authorities, this is where the trouble starts because men are portrayed. I remember, you may remember the, the Verizon commercial years ago that was pulled immediately because it showed this stupid husband trying to help his infinitely more wiser 8-year-old daughter with a school project, and he's relegated by his omnipotent, and all-knowing wife to go wash the dog. They had to pull that commercial, rightly so, because people took offense. A husband is called by God. He has been raised up for such a time as this. And in this text that we're studying, he's called to lead his family. You're saying, well, you know, you've said it implicitly. Back up to verse 23. In verse 23, it says, "...for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself the Savior." God has called a man, he has required a man to lead his home. Not as a tyrant, nothing like that. He is, to, he is to lead her sacrificially, he is to lead her intelligently, and he is to lead her. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now a lot of people hate this verse, I get it. Our culture reacts almost viscerally against it. And many men squander the opportunity to be Christ to the family. They're either a distant faraway abstract male figure or they're a caveman sometimes. But the reality is men aren't called to be passive leaders. They're called to actively love, to actively learn and to actively lead. I'm reminded that lover leader, lover learner and leader. Husband is the sacrifice for his wife. That those are that's a verb right? He's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He's to love his wife as he would his own body. He's to live with his wife in an understanding way. These are action verbs. These aren't passive. And this is what we're required. God requires it. God expects it. It's an act of worship on the part of the man and on the part of the woman. just as the church follows Christ, the wife in God's economy is to follow the husband. That doesn't mean a resignation of her intellect or abilities or gifts. But some of us are old enough to remember the uh, great, great movie, Dr. Doolittle. Not with Eddie Murphy. I think it was, it was Rex Harrison. And in there is an animal called a push-me-pull-you. Remember that animal? It's a two-headed beast. If you see a two-headed beast, you probably want to catch it and put it on display in a circus or in a museum because it's a freak of nature. And God has, desi- has designed marriage the way he's designed the church. And here's the problem. This is what is explicitly taught in the scriptures. And I'm not being naive. I understand that this is hard to listen to. But a husband is called to be a shepherd. And shepherds have to lead because they are responsible for great care of the flock. Not just the wife, but the kids. God holds them overall responsible for the care of the family. And shepherds lead the flock in the path of righteousness for the sake of God's name. They lead the flock... By the still and safe waters, they cause them to lie down and rest. I'm reminded of the picture of a good shepherd in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Here's a picture of a good shepherd. Here's a picture of a good husband. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. There is another picture of a lover, a learner, and a leader. I know my own. I know my sheep. There's a picture of a sacrificial shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You know, we live in a world where a marriage is in decline. People just shack up. But you know what? Without that commitment, many times we have a couple of hirelings here, and when the going gets tough, the tough get going usually out the door. But this is a picture of God's economy. A good lover doesn't flee because he cares too much. A good learner doesn't flee because he understands his role. And that God has entrusted him with a stewardship, a a care for a family, for a woman, for his one flesh. And he is to take the lead and set the example in forming this relationship which is second only to his relationship with God. And that's why you read in Genesis 2.24, and that's why you read... In Ephesians 5.33, and that's why you read throughout the Bible, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, and he himself is its savior. Yes, he should take a bullet for her. Yes, he should step out in front of a choo-choo train for her. Yes, he should learn her and understand her and care for her and make her understand that out next to God, she is the most important individual in his life. And he needs to learn how to do that.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the Grace to Live radio
2: broadcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID-19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry, but it is a listener-supported ministry, and in as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a, a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church, and you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement.
1: If you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org.